Today's podcast is coming to you live from Singapore where we've arrived for just about 36 hours as part of our Asian tour. Uh, we will be coming back to Singapore to spend a week later in, the, in this year. Maybe I think it will be end of September if I'm not mistaken. The dates are still a bit flexible but we're in Singapore at the moment. Uh, I've been here for the last 12 hours. I've had a chance to catch up with a few people I know including some of the partners here. Uh, some of the Thai partners and so on. And today's podcast, I think, that we're going to do is um, linked to the topic of Asia. And it's linked to what I think is the one of the biggest trends that is not analyzed and certainly not reacted to in the correct way. And one of those trends is the rise of Asian female doctoral candidates. And when I see this group of candidates, I'm always amazed at just how far they've come, the potential they have. And it really shocks me about how this group of candidates who are quite exceptional in their skills and potential are largely ignored as a definitive segment by consulting firms. And you know, one of the re- one of the things that that quite upset me in this recent trip is some of the discussions I've had with partners in Asia uh, about how they use female uh, doctoral candidates of Asian descent. And of course, uh, why am I talking about Asian descent? Because if you just look at the sheer numbers of um, Asian, if you look at the sheer number of female candidates in doctoral programs in the top U.S. schools, Asians predominate that group. I mean, they are the dominant group. So it is a segment worth discussing and this podcast is going to be long because I'm going to stitch together several viewpoints here to explain why this is a segment worth pursuing but also why a lot of the arguments raised about how this group is not worth pursuing or not worth targeting are just basically false. And I'm going to use direct quotes taken out of the archives of some of these consulting firms to prove that point. So let's begin at the top, right? Let's look at Germany. I'm going to start at Germany. I know it's a weird way to start talking about Asian female doctoral candidates, but I am going to start about Germany. I'm going to start with Germany. If you look at them, whenever I speak to American students, I always tell them, you know, the most competitive and the toughest offices to join for the consulting firms, excluding Bain, because Bain is really weak outside of the United States and the UK. Um, BCG and McKinsey's German offices are phenomenal. They are world class. It is tougher to get into those offices than to get into some of the US offices like Chicago, New York, and even London. And when I explain this to American candidates, they never understand the point. They always say, but how can you say that? I mean, it's the United States. It's the center of of global capitalism. Surely, um, the training and the difficulty of getting in must be higher in the American offices. And then I've got to go into a long explanation about why this is not the case. And I'm going to do that now. And this is certainly linked to Asian female doctoral candidates, so just bear with me, right? One of the reasons why the German offices have been so successful is if you look at the education level of German executives, it's higher than for American executives. Sure, people can always argue about what's education, and so I'm not going to get into that argument. I'm not debating about the merits. I'm just talking about the level of education. The German system kind of laughs at people that have a master's degree and a bachelor's degree, and it's like, what, so what, you went to high school? You know, everyone's sort of expected to have a PhD, and by and large, most German management committees and German boards are dominated by PhDs, you know, her doctor, whatever, her doctor, professor. So what that means is that the German business structure or business layer or business strata is far more highly educated than just about any other country in the world, right? And what that means is that to impress a German um, 
executive or German board member and not just impress them but to produce things that will actually help them and that's going to add value to their life beyond what they could have done, you've got to put in front of these people very highly educated consultants. And what that ultimately means is that this downward pressure on excellence means that the, num that the, the training and the education levels that German consultants go through is of a standard that I've not yet to see anywhere else in the world. And now, you can always argue that this is a subjective point, but let me give you a non-subjective point, right? Because I know some of the Americans are rolling their eyes when I give this podcast. But 20 years ago, when McKinsey and BCG were you know, going across the world and planting their flag um, in different parts of the world, like Singapore and so on, and Sweden... Partners leading that charge were American partners, right? When McKinsey opened up offices in Scandinavia and so on, Rajat Gupta went ahead and he set up those offices. It was New York and Chicago and to some extent Boston partners who led the expansion of management consulting worldwide. Fast forward 20 years to today, and it's no longer the Americans. If you look at major offices around the world for McKinsey and BCG, and even for Bain to some extent for Bain, it is the German partners, by and large, who are leading the charges. I mean, managing partners in most regions like the Middle East, parts of Southeast Asia, parts of Africa, parts of Latin America, Eastern Europe, are German partners. So why is that the case, right? For, for one reason, it's obviously the level of discipline and the training of the German officers is, is dramatically superior, right? And because of that, a lot of the thinking that comes out of the uh, consulting firms comes out of Germany, right? A lot of the new intellectual property. But beyond that is the culture of German partners. They are very, very focused on getting the job done and sort of sitting back and relying on the results to speak for themselves, as opposed to what I think is the Anglo-Saxon model of talking first and then letting the results hopefully meet the promises you've made. But the point is that the German partners have been enormously successful in guiding management consulting at its core, but also guiding offices worldwide. Today, it's the German partners who are carrying the culture of management consulting worldwide, not the American partners. If you look at major emerging markets, hubs, and regions, it's German partners that are driving those offices. Now, what does that have to do with Asian female doctoral candidates? Well... And the point I'm trying to make here, it's not a subtle point, is that Asian female candidates, by and large, in their home countries are not given the kind of opportunities that I would say Caucasian females are given in their home countries. When, when a candidate comes across from Korea, Singapore, China, and so on, and comes to the United States to study, this is a one shot to make it, right? If she had to go back home and try to build a career, it's going to be very difficult for her because of you know, adverse sexism. So what you have is you have this highly educated group coming to the United States with a hunger to deliver, right? Because of their level of education, they have enormous potential, but they are not being used correctly. I mean, some firms like Bain will tell you very directly, you know, we don't really like hiring PhDs, which I think is a ridiculous model, right? But here you have a group of individuals who in many ways replicate the German model of success in management consulting, excessively high levels of education. I think a very, very good propensity and style of engagement which allows them to fit into just about any office in the world because they're not confrontational, but they are collaborative, but no one's really focusing on that. And I actually had a, a dinner uh, a few hours ago, actually, with a Thai partner from BCG um, who I know very well, 
and he was telling me why it's so difficult to use these highly educated Asian females from the United States in Singapore, in Thailand, and so on. And I was actually quite upset with him, and I told him very clearly, I don't think you know what you're talking about. He's my friend, so I can tell him that, right? I think you're making a lot of mistakes here, and I think that you are trying to rehash topics that have been hashed out 40 years ago, and we know the answers now. So I think that the excuses you're making are purely excuses, and and just because you don't understand something doesn't mean it doesn't work. And I think that what you need to do is you need to put some female PhDs on your projects. If they fail, you fire them. That's what management consulting is about. But if they deliver, you bring in a group that is largely being marginalized in the United States and by most consulting offices, and you're giving them a home. And trust me, if you give them a home, they will deliver. And I use two analogies to point this out, Tim. first analogy I used is if you look at the original PhDs that came into McKinsey, right, the original rocket scientists, at one point McKinsey was hiring only MBAs and a few people outside of MBAs, right, so if you went to Harvard, you went to Stanford, you went to Wharton, they'd hire you, right? This debate we're having about Asian female PhDs, doctoral candidates, is the same debate McKinsey had when it brought in its first doctoral candidates, which were white males, right? These guys had nothing to do when they came into McKinsey, right? The MBAs didn't want to use them, the partners didn't know how to use them, they had skills that no one knew how to use, and they had to basically make a name for themselves. And remember, one of the partners, a PhD in thermodynamics, uh, wrote a very famous story whereby he said that the only time he made his career was when he disagreed with some of the MBAs and stood up and said, you know what, I think what we're doing is bad for the client, I wouldn't do the analysis this way, I would change the analysis and redo it this way, And he sat down and he thought his career was over, right? But the point is that if you look at the arguments made by McKinsey partners at that point, you know what, these guys don't have the right skills, they're number crunches, they're too um, uh, conflict-averse. Those are the same debates we're now having about Asian female doctoral candidates about how they cannot fit into consulting firms, right? And it's a ridiculous debate because 20 years ago we had this discussion about males, white males, who were in uh, coming out of PhD programs, and you know what? They've been very successful. In fact, some of, the, in fact, today it's very common for a high-performing partner to have a PhD and an MBA. And in fact, a lot of them just have PhDs, especially from the European offices, right? So the question is, why we're treating Asian female candidates differently who have PhDs is beyond me. But let's just move away from just you know, the male-female debate. Let's look at just the female debate, right? The first. Harvard MBA to graduate as a female graduated, I think, it must have been 1964, right? That's when Harvard graduated his first female candidate. The first McKinsey candidate, or the first McKinsey consultant to lead a project team that was female was a woman called Mary Falvey, right? She was at McKinsey, I think, somewhere from 1964, 1967 to about 1970, mid-70s, I can't remember the exact date. So she was going to be running an insurance project, and at the time, there was a big debate about whether the client would accept a female running a project. And I I really remember something that was said very clearly about the partner who, who brought her in, right? He said, when we went to the client to tell them a female was going to be running the project, we didn't ask for their permission. We just told them a female was going to be running the project. If we tell them, if we ask the permission, they would think there's something wrong. So we didn't ask the permission. We told them we know what's best and we believe she's the best person to run the project. And I do feel this debate about whether you know Asian female candidates in doctoral programs can fit into the culture of the United States the culture of Asia because of the uh, cultural differences between different nations and whether we be able to adjust it is basically nonsense. We've had this debate. The problem was solved in the 70s. Females can manage teams and they can do a really fantastic job. And if you think about it beyond that, right, 
I really like what Marvin Bauer said um, in a speech he delivered, I think it was 1998. Begin quote, put women on every team. All male teams often wind up spinning wheels. Add women and you're likely to break, break through problems. It's true that women have more intuition than men. I've observed that when I've worked for some time with an all-male team and then add a woman, the team becomes more imaginative has more and better ideas, and is more sensitive to what's on the mind of clients. End quotes. And my own experiences bear testimony to this. When I, I do find male teams become dysfunctional. They become, they start acting like frat boys. And the worst thing is that male teams like, you know, they like socializing by doing, you know, things like drinking and so on. And to be honest, that's fun, but up to a certain point, you want to bring it down. And what I do find, and this is by and large, is I do find that females tend to be very good at getting win-win situations, while men tend to go out for an all-win situation. And one of the strengths I've seen with female candidates that I've hired and groomed, and I'm working with now, is they're very good at getting a at resolving a situation without building conflict. While I do feel that in many situations, men try to build conflict into a situation to generate an outcome. And I really like um, the quote that was given by, I think, Linda Levinson, the first female partner at McKinsey ever, the first female director. She said, you know, begin quote, the men were wiring about how to behave with women in the firm. The women were afraid of making a mistake. And Marvin Bauer fostered that McKinsey was a gender-blind meritocracy. Marvin made it possible for women to succeed. He held us to the same standards and made us feel we could meet those standards. Marvin's definition of professionalism has left an indelible impression. End quote. Now, the problem I have with this debate about Asian female candidates, and the most bizarre thing is happening with partners in the Asian offices who should be better able to see the strength of having these women returning, highly educated in the West and being culturally attuned to the local environment, is that we've had this debate. We had the debate with PhDs when the first PhDs entered management consulting 20 years ago, and it's just an echo of that debate. We had this debate when we were appointing females into very senior position in the Western countries. And now we're just merging these debates, females and PhDs, and we're rehashing something that we've always discussed forever. I don't see what the big deal is here. You know, a female is a female, whether she's got a PhD or an MBA, right? Um, cultural differences aside... I do feel management consulting firms are missing the beat on this very underappreciated but very capable, rapidly growing, and I think burgeoning and you know chomping at the at 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 the bit group that has a lot of potential. And I think it's up to a consulting firm to specifically target this group. People who work with firms consulting know very clearly that um, we make an effort to work with females. Um, we've said it before, we bring in 50% of our clients are females. We've made that a priority. This, in this group of students we're taking in, it will be the first time where females are actually going to be the dominant um, a segment in every single group. But the other thing we do is that when we deal with business schools and so on, we make it a condition of working with us that they will actively promote the inclusion of females either in their case competitions if they want us to design a training program for them we're fine to do it but we want heavy female involvement in fact we're designing a program right now for a business school in europe and we've made it very clear unless they can promise us 50 percent female enrollment i don't know how, i don't care how they do it we just won't do the program for them and we can do that because they're not paying us for it right um we just decided to release some of our material into that school so the point I'm trying to make here is that the Asian female doctoral candidate class, the debates I see today, 
a debate that we've hashed out many years ago. And I do feel that the only reason we're having this debate is because first, we're not sure how to deal with this group because this group, Asian female candidates, don't have many real mo role models at consulting firms. By and large, um, you know, the Asian demographic hasn't progressed as fast as I think they should have in consulting firms. Obviously, it's an extremely talented group, and for the life of me, I can't understand why, while the, the Indians on the subcontinent have scaled the highest heights of management consulting, the Asian sort of subcontinent hasn't done as well. But I think that irrespective of whether there's no role model within that group, you don't have to be Asian to recognize the capability that this specific group brings you know, the Asian female doctorate candidate class. So we've been working with some consulting partners to, to force them to do more here. And hopefully, as a result of this trip to Asia, um, we've changed some minds. But one thing that really annoys me is when a um, partner from Thailand or Singapore says, well, they're worried about bringing in a Singaporean candidate and making them work in the Thai office or bringing in a Vietnamese and making them work in the Thai office because I can't understand that, right? You know, Germany invaded most of the world and caused a lot of trouble 50 years ago, but we have no problem today bringing in uh, German partners and putting them all over the world and making them work in the Dutch offices, the Russian offices, and so on. So this idea of cultural conflict is ridiculous. As far as I'm concerned, it's an excuse. There is nothing a candidate can do that is so bad that it's going to destroy you know, in relations between two countries. It is an excuse. It's an excuse because partners are not comfortable dealing with, I think, very talented females, um, and they're unwilling to make this change. And, and I agree, in some Asian countries, it is a cultural issue. It's not a cultural issue because two nations can't get along. It's a cultural issue because in most Asian countries, strong females are not accepted. Um, and I think that has to change. But even if it cannot change in Asian countries, I definitely think in the United States and Europe, a greater effort needs to be to recruit and develop this group. Sure, they may not be perfect today, but no one's perfect when they join. It takes a lot of grooming and development to get there. As always, I'll be happy to listen to any comments and respond to them.